0: يقول الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم ولا تلبسوا الحق بالباطل وتكتموا الحق وانتم تعلمون واقيموا الصلاه واتوا الزكاه واركعوا مع الراكعين at Murun and Nasa bilbirri, Watan Sauna and Fusakum, Watum Tatlun al Kitab, Afala Tarquilun Brothers and Sisters, Committed Muslims. These ayat which were just quoted. are the 42nd through the 44th ayahs from Surah Al-Baqarah The context of their revelation relates to the matter of Bani Israel when they were in a position of power and dominion that they had the level of power and control in a way that they routinely abused and misused that power and so if I were to roughly translate these ayat please keep this context in mind Allah says, and do not shroud the truth with falsehood, and do not knowingly suppress the truth. Rather, standardize the salah, and make the distribution a wealth of wealth, a systemic institution. And then bow down to Allah along with those others who bow down to Him. Would you advise others to virtue while you forget your own selves? At the same time that you are reciting Allah's words from his book do you not think? and so the reason that these ayats are describing Bani Israel is that they were in the habit of telling everyone else to be ideal, ethical and upright while they would exempt themselves from those same standards of behavior. And so obviously these ayat are not tied to a moment in history or to a moment in time or pertaining to a particular group of people. These ayat describe a certain kind of behavior that needs to be corrected in society a certain type of behavior that is endemic to human nature when those human beings acquire a certain level of power where that power cannot be challenged by other human beings and so they begin to acquire these characteristics of telling other people to behave in an ethical and an equitable and a just manner while they exempt themselves from those same standards of behavior And so does this have applicability in our time? Are there powers and governments and institutions that tell other people to behave in a certain manner, to obey international law, to obey the strictures of democracy? while you find that in their own behavior, they exempt themselves from the very standards that they tell other people to follow and so as an example let us consider one of the top stories in the news today The Russians are are being accused of tampering with the last presidential election in the United States. And some are saying that they meddled in the election to such a point that it actually influenced the results of the election, suggesting that perhaps the wrong person was elected president. Now, the coverage of this issue has generally taken a self-righteous tone where the Russians are being accused of criminal behavior while the accusers themselves are sort of exempting themselves from the same crime. The British Prime Minister came out and said, that the Russians are undermining free societies now if you happen to be affected by the tampering of elections or the engineering of coups in other parts of the world you might know that there is a running joke in Latin America and the vast majority of Muslim countries And the joke goes like this, why hasn't there ever been a coup in the United States? Answer, because there is no American Embassy in Washington. The obvious implication is that the American Embassy in various third world countries is a staging ground for destabilizing the representative institutions in those countries and so the rest of this talk unfortunately is going to deal more with facts than explanations but as I lay out these facts and you go home and have a chance to think about them Then the, reveli- then the explanation and the detail is perhaps going to be self-revelatory. So if you listen carefully to these facts, you might begin to get some idea of the meaning of these ayat in the real world today. so let us look at the record of the accuser. The one who is accusing other countries of tampering in other people's elections. So let us look at the record of the accuser. The United States has a long history of rigging elections in other countries, of engineering coups in those countries, and of spreading propaganda. Political propaganda. From 1946 through 2000, that is basically from the end of World War II until the turn of this last Gregorian century. From 1946 to 2000, of the information that's not known of the information that's known meaning that it's not classified any longer there was something on the order of 120 electoral interventions by the United States and the Soviet Union 120 now I, i'd like you to understand that the real figure could be three or four times more than this But because most of this information is classified and is not going to come out for 60 years or 70 years later or perhaps centuries into the future, we have to go with the information that's available in the public space. And so keep in mind that even though there are 120 electoral interventions on record, You should understand that if all the classified information was to come out, that it could be, you know, maybe 500 or even 1,000 interventions that have been taking place in the last 70 or 80 years. Now, of these interventions, 80 of them, or perhaps 85 of them, that's a full 70%, were engineered by the United States. Now this would put Russia in the position of being a student, whereas the United States is the teacher. In a sense, the Russians are some Johnny come Latelys coming on board with regard to messing around in people's inter- uh, uh, elections. the one who sort of created the syllabus for doing all of this are the policy makers right here in Washington to go into some further detail and again keep in mind that this is not this is not even the tip of the iceberg in 1948 in Italy this is just a couple of years after World War II The Christian Democrats defeated the Communist Party, but they defeated the Communist Party largely through American intelligence intervention. In fact, now that these documents have become declassified, 70 or 80 years later, representatives of the CIA, at that time the CIA was called the Office of Strategic Services, So now that these documents are coming out, some of these uh, agent provocateurs at the time, they're now beginning to talk. And they said that we had bags of money that we delivered to Italian politicians to defray political expenses. Now you might ask, what are these political expenses? Especially if you're contributing to politicians who are running in elections from the 1950s through the 1960s US intelligence agencies completely completely subsidized the Liberal Democratic Party in Japan and that was with a view to keep the, the leftists and the communists at bay once again influencing elections in another country in the 1980s The White House approved a $20,000 contribution towards the presidential campaign of Nicholas Barletta, who was running for the president of Panama. At that time, $20,000 was a lot of money, and in Panama, it would be a ton of money. In the 1990s, the Central Intelligence Agency contributed $400,000 to anti-communist organizations in czechoslovakia and later in that same decade in 1999 the czech republic joined nato and in 2004 it joined the european union and so here we're talking about electoral inventions uh, interventions what about coups d'etat And these have been engineered by both Republican and Democratic administrations in the White House. Now, as I said, that I'm going to go through a bunch of facts. And I have a list here of coups that were engineered by the United States that were successful. Keep in mind, these are coups that were successful, not all the coups that they tried to engineer, which are scores and scores higher than the coups that actually succeeded. reason that I'm going to go through this list, and I'll just read it off, is so that you get an idea of what's been going on through the years, that it's not just an occurrence here or there, it's not just an occurrence that happens perhaps once a decade or once every 20 or 30 years. This is an ongoing activity of secular democracies. Okay, and so these are instances of the U.S. overthrowing or attempting to overthrow a foreign government since World War II. Iran, 1953. Guatemala, 1954. 1973 Cambodia 1955 through 1970 Laos 1958 through 1960 Ecuador 1960 through 1963 the Congo 1960 Brazil 1962 to 1964 the Dominican Republic 1963 Cuba even though the government was not overthrown it's being it's been the United States has been trying to destabilize it from 1959 through to the present Bolivia 1964 Indonesia 1965 Ghana 1966 Chile 1964 through 1973 Greece 1967 Bolivia 1971 Australia 1973 to 1975 Angola 1975 and the 1980s Zaire 1975 Portugal, 1974 through 1976. Jamaica, 1976 through 1980. Ecuador, 2000. Afghanistan, 2001 through the present. Venezuela, 2002. Iraq, 2003 to the present. Haiti, 2004. Somalia, 1993 to the present. Honduras, 2009. Libya, 2011. Syria, 2012 and the Ukraine 2014. Now it was important to go through this list just as a matter of factual information so that you get an understanding of the meaning of this area. Attakmuruna Nasa bil bidri wata watan sauna anfusakum. Wa'antum tatlun al kitab afala ta'htiloon. Do you advise others to virtue? Attakmuruna nasa bil bidri wa tan sauna and fusakum. Well do you forget yourselves? Do you advise others? that they should have free elections and in representative institutions? When you actively undermine those free elections and the potential development of representative institutions all across the world? In just one particular instance, and I have many many more examples here but we don't have the time to go through all of them with regard to the 1953 coup in, uh, in Iran. At the time, the United States and the United Kingdom engineered a coup against the elected government of Prime Minister Mohammad Mossadegh, And the reason they did so is because he nationalized the Anglo-Iranian oil company later to become known as british petroleum or bp meaning that when somebody nationalizes the assets of a corporation or a company that means that its assets are owned by the people of that com- uh, of that of that country rather than private owners owners somewhere else in the world what it further means is that whatever profits accrue from the services and the products that that corporation provides that those profits and those assets accrue to the people of that country. That's what nationalization means. And so the United States and the United Kingdom decided to engineer a coup to overthrow the elected government of Prime Minister Musaddiq. And the occupants of the White House from 1953 until the Obama administration continued to deny that they had anything to do with being involved in engineering a coup in Iran. But now that the documents for that time period have become declassified, uh, a CIA document reveals, and you know this is according to their own language, The military coup that overthrew Musaddiq and his National Front Cabinet was carried out under CIA direction as an act of U.S. foreign policy conceived and approved at the highest levels of government. And once again I can go on uh, there are many many more examples not the least of which is the Muslim world and uh, you know since 2000 uh, the number of examples in the Muslim world are, are numerous we can go to North Africa there's Libya, there's Egypt, there's Algeria, there's Mali there's a dismemberment of Sudan. there's the Darfur crisis right next to Chad. And uh, Somalia has been uh, under sort of a destabilization campaign since 1993. And then if you go into the majority Muslim East, uh, there's Syria, there's Iraq and you can go all the way to, uh, to Pakistan. And you know and it goes on and on and on. there are two things that we ought to know here. The first is that the current occupant, the current chief executive in the White House, he made a comment some months ago, and we can't repeat his exact words here on the Jumra. but he made a comment some months ago about certain s-hole countries in the world that, uh, that are sending, in a sense, the refugees and immigrants to the United States. Now he's just vocalizing what the previous occupants of the White House actually did. Now this current occupant of the White House, uh, he's uh, a little bit more unsophisticated and sort of unintellectual or or unacademic compared to the previous occupants of that same position. And So he just comes out in sort of a street fashion and expresses himself. They sort of uh, finesse their language a little bit, but in effect, they were saying the same thing. But the question that we have to ask, standing here on this occasion, that were it not for the White House brokering S. Hole countries all across the world, there wouldn't be any S. Hole countries in the world. If the people were allowed to build their own representative institutions without meddling from foreign powers, then there will be no need for them to create refugee crises. There would no, be no need for them to look for opportunities beyond their shores or beyond their borders. But, but, but because they're prevented from having opportunities in their own countries, because they're prevented from choosing their own leaders by people who consider themselves to be holier than thou that is what forces them to dislocate and to look for opportunities elsewhere the second thing to recognize here that you hear a lot of Muslims talking about having democracies and representative institutions in their own countries. Now having representative institutions is one thing. Having a democracy is something else. What we need to understand is that democracy, capitalism, and the so-called free press is a package deal. You can't have one without the other. If you want a democracy in your country, and you're not precise about the terms that you use, it's okay to have representative institutions, but it's not okay to have a democracy, especially with regard to the history of hypocrisy being endemic to democracy. If you want a democracy in your country, you have to get used to the notion that foreign capital is going to build your representative institutions. And when foreign capital is infused in your representative institutions, they are no longer, quote unquote, your representative institutions. They represent, rather, the capital of whoever contributed to those, to those developments. So if capital is coming, say, for instance, from France, and it's helping you develop a representative institution in Senegal, that representative institution is going to represent France. It's not going to represent the people of Senegal. So if we are to learn from these ayat, And we are to understand That the greatest aspect Of not shrouding the truth with falsehood Is this portion of the ayah where Allah Ta'ala says وَأَقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ وَآتُ الزَّكَاهِ وَارْكَعُوا مَعَ الْرَاكِعِينَ That standardize the salah and make the distribution of, of wealth a systemic institution in your society. Why is this part and parcel of not shrouding the truth with falsehood? Because it, because it is the accumulation of power and the accumulation of wealth that acts as a drug, that moves you into a domain where you feel that you are not accountable to another authority, to a higher authority. اقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم فاستغفروه يغفر لكم فاستغفروا يغفر لكم الحمد لله والصلاه والسلام على رسول الله I'd like to use the second part of the Khutbah to talk about Tariq Ramadan. Now, while many of you may not agree with his views on everything, there are important things to understand with regard to his case. Especially within the context that we were speaking of earlier With regard to hypocrisy being endemic To the institution of secular democracy Tariq Ramadan, you're well aware of the charges That they have piled up against him Uh, He has been in preventive detention and solitary confinement for nearly two months now. He has multiple sclerosis. And he is not being given the medications that he needs in prison. As many of you know, MS, multiple sclerosis, is a degenerative nerve disorder. And so his health is failing, over this time that he's now been in prison, his health is beginning to fail to such an extent that he is encountering excruciating pain in his lower limbs. The doctors that went in to see him say that his detention is not compatible, that his health is not compatible with being detained meaning that he has to be moved to a hospital and that he has to be given the proper medical treatment. The French campaign to eliminate Tariq Ramadan from the social, the political, the intellectual, the academic landscape of France predates the current charges that have been leveled against him. In fact, since 2003, as far as the ruling establishment in France is concerned, Tariq Ramadan by himself is considered to be public enemy number one. This one person is considered to be public enemy number one, for going now on something like 15 or 16 odd years. He is the object of an unprecedented visceral hatred from the totality of the French ruling establishment. And this this goes across the board. From the various governments that have been in power since Tariq Ramadan gained prominence on the left or the right, from the full spectrum of political parties, from the extreme right to the extreme left from the mainstream media in France, from the intellectual and academic establishment in France. The full compendium or the full domain of the French ruling establishment hates this one person, not because he's violent, not because he's promoting other people to violence or committing other people to violence, but because they can't respond to his ideas. They can't respond to his passionate defense of his deen. This hatred has gone to such an extreme. I mean, not only do you find him in prison, but it's gone to such an extreme that if a French politician wants to vilify or discredit one of his opponents or adversaries, All he has to do is say that this guy is a friend of Tariq Ramadan. In 2016, Tariq Ramadan applied for citizenship to France. He wanted to become a naturalized citizen of France. His qualifications for you know for wanting to become a citizen of France? Well, his wife is a French citizen, all of his children are French citizens. Tariq Ramadan superbly speaks French and writes in French. As an academic, a scholar, and intellect, and an intellectual, he he is well versed. With the culture, the philosophy, the tradition, the poetry of France and so he is very deserving of becoming a French citizen. In fact, you know lesser people have been awarded citizen, citizenship in France. So when he applied for, for, for his citizenship in 2016, the French Prime Minister Manuel Valls went ballistic out and said that Tariq Ramadan's application for naturalization is incompatible with the values of the French Republic that it is a provocation that the French Republic cannot tolerate just the application is a provocation that the French Republic can't tolerate And so in response to this French Prime Minister, Tariq Ramadan said the following. He said, just a few weeks before I applied for citizenship in France, you inducted the Saudi Crown Prince into the French Legion of Honor. Meaning, you know, Muhammad bin Salman, MBS, was inducted into the French Legion of Honor a few weeks before Tariq Ramadan applied for citizenship. And so Tariq Ramadan said that you gave the highest French official honor to the Saudi crown prince who comes from a country that is an absolute monarchy and that rejects all of the values that you claim to uphold. Values like open representation. Values like gender equality. You award the highest French national honor to a person like this, and you can't give me citizenship. The reality is, brothers and sisters, that Tariq Ramadan didn't commit any crimes. He is being cast as the devil. He is being cast as the Antichrist of the French Republic. But if we were to take away all the euphemisms, Tariq Ramadan is being persecuted because he's Muslim. That's the only reason that he's being persecuted. And he's, he's, he's being persecuted not because he's a Muslim who shows up to pray in the masjid. He's a Muslim who is not afraid to respond to the issues. And the reason that we are saying that he's only being persecuted because he's a Muslim, because there are two French ministers, much like cabinet secretaries here in the United States, there are two French ministers that have been accused of the same crime that they're accusing Tariq Ramadan of. And yet they're just walking out free on the streets in France. They haven't been put in preventive detention or solitary confinement. In fact, the French judiciary is giving them the full due process. And yet Tariq Ramadan is not receiving any of these luxuries that are guaranteed to him by the, uh, by the Constitution of France. Contact the French consulate here in the United States and register your protest to this illegal and immoral detention of an Islamic scholar. And if you have the wherewithal, please contribute to the fund that's trying to get him released. And you can find many of these, uh, or or the fund that's contributing to his campaign to be released, you can find that information online. (laughs) Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warazukna atiba'ah Wa arina al-baatila batilan warazukna ajtinaabah Allahumma aghfir lil al wal-mu'minat Al-ahyai minhum wal amwat انك قريب سميع مجيب الدعوات اللهم ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنه وفي الاخره حسنه وقنا عذاب النار ربنا لا تذل قلوبنا عباده إذ هديتنا وهب لنا انك انت الوهاب. إن Allah, وملائكته يصلون the النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لا في خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعمل الصالحات وتوصل بالحق وتوصل بالصبر ومن أظلم من ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر في حسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين. لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون ولا الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة بِرَكَبَةِ اللَّهِ إِلَى اللَّهِ